to the Cinescare Podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Matt Speak. And I am also one of your hosts, Joe Jans. And Joe, today we've got like, we almost have too many people in the same room. We should knock one of, one of these people does not belong here. No, Mark Piscati <laughs> has returned, uh, and, and we welcome him. Uh, it's this a is packed really, house. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's quite appropriate because if you're doing a show or a, a show on Friday the 13th, it's appropriate that you have a sequel that comes out like right away. And uh, so this is kind of our sequel show. So we had to have Mark back. He's kind of our, uh, our what's it, who's the guy? I can't remember now the old guy at the beginning that tells them, you know, the crazy the, the Ralph. Crazy yeah, you're Ralph, kind yeah. of our crazy Ralph a little bit. Well, so. thanks so much uh, for having me back on, guys. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited about uh, talking to Vincent and Womp Stomp yeah. Films about Never Hike Alone and uh, Never Hike Alone in the Snow because these if films you, are if fantastic. You would, uh, we, we'd Mark, like to actually introduce would, him first. Yeah, so Let us run our show. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not so, my uh, podcast, Mark. It's not your podcast. <laughs> Uh, we'll edit that in post. Yeah, we'll edit. It. No, we'll keep that in. Yeah, uh, of course you will. So, uh, we have a special guest. This is really what we're all about right now. Is uh, this special guest because I, you know, it's not often that you get on a filmmaker who is an indie filmmaker that's that's doing his own thing, and he, and and I know that the movies that he's been doing are are quote unquote fan films, but I these are great movies. These are great little movies. And so if you hear the term fan film, I know a lot of people might, you know, not consider them canon or whatever, but I tell you, I love these things that you've done. Uh, Mr. Vincent DeSanti, am I pronouncing that correctly? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having Excellent. me guys. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, uh, first of all, I just, I, I just want to say how much I, I know all of us uh, really enjoyed these uh, short films, uh, these fan films. I especially loved uh, Never Hike Alone, uh, but Never Hike in the Snow is is fantastic too. And I and I see on IMDb IMDb that you are actually going to be making a couple more of these, right? Yeah, I mean that's the plan. Um, we ha the story continues. I mean, the ending of Never Hike Alone obviously leaves with a little bit of a cliffhanger in the sense of mm -hmm. there's more story to tell, and we know that the that the adventure is not over. Um, but of course it's a much more expensive adventure. So, uh, it, it's much different from where we had started where, you know, never hike alone started as just a group of friends getting together and with an idea, um, and seeing how far we can push it. And it really started as a trailer, as a concept of, of what a film like a never hike alone would look like, uh, which turned into like a 90 second trailer that we made for a Friday the 13th. So I'm obviously a big Friday the 13th fan. I grew up with the franchise for Jason Voorhees is my favorite horror villain. Um, and I started getting the habit, like every Friday the 13th, the, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago that I would like post an image or I would create something on Photoshop or I would go out and create a cosplay and take a photo of it in a really cool place and create something in, in that sense. And every Friday the 13th that would come up would be like, all right, I got to one up myself from last time. And eventually it was the trailer. And so it was a few of us who went out and, and created that. Um, and it showed that there was uh, interest in it. You know what I mean? Like people got behind it and that was something that we didn't really expect in the numbers that we got it. Um, and so we started piecing it together. And then once we, we sort of found this abandoned camp 
in the middle of this kind of epiphany of what this film could be. And we found this like Hollywood film set out in the middle of big bear that nobody was, you know, watching. We just kind of took it over and started making a movie every weekend. So we worked Monday to Friday. Um, I worked in animation at the time. So I worked for a company called original force. We were working on an animated feature called duck, duck goose. And I was on another uh, feature over there as well, which was called QQ speed that never came out. Um, and I was kind of doing my day to day and, and me and my friends, actually worked at the same company and we would get together all week uh, after work, talk about what we wanted to do, get in the car on Friday, drive up to the mountains, shoot all weekend, and then come back to work Monday morning, absolutely exhausted, uh, waiting to get back to the next week so we could figure something else out and build a new set or, you know, figure out the the trajectory of, of where our character would travel around the set. And so it was a long kind of study of this location before we got started into the film uh, ran a couple of crowdfunding campaigns. The first one didn't make it, um, but we were able to convince a few backers who came in at a pretty high. They came in at like that executive producer rate and we were like, listen, like, do you need Kickstarter to get behind us? Or if I put in that money and you put in that money and they put in that money, we have enough to like get going. So we made about half the film. Um showed that trailer uh, to a few people and and then got a second campaign going, raised enough money to finish the film um, and then released it in October of 2017 with literally our only thing was like to get in Friday the 13th franchise.com. Like we just wanted to be on the board, you know what I mean? And so when we ended up on bloody disgusting and other bigger sites started following us, there was a little bit more pressure. We were able to, uh, somehow worm our way into the Telluride Horror Show, uh, which is a premier genre film festival in Telluride, Colorado, that's held every October. And that year they happened to be opening up on Friday the 13th, which was perfect. And they were looking for something Friday the 13th theme. And then originally they were going to show the original movie, but they were like, you know, we've all seen it a million times. We'd like to see something fresh and new. Um, we sent them a rough cup of our film. They accepted it into the film festival, and we debuted on Friday the 13th at the Telluride Horror Show while simultaneously launching on YouTube. So it was it was this thing that started, like like I said, five people, and then before I know it, like when we were on set, we had 25 people, stunt coordinators, special effects people, and then we were debuting at a film festival, and then it was online, and it was spreading like wildfire, and it, it keeps, you know, to this day, it seems to be more popular now than it was you know, four years ago when it first came out, I have more, I, we average more views today than we ever have ever. And I, I just find that kind of, uh, it's humbling. I mean, that, that's really the best word for it. Well, it, it, I mean, it's growing because of the quality and, and word of mouth is going to make that kind of thing go. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, cause I've seen some, uh, fan, uh, films and and the quality you know obviously if you i'm sure you've seen plenty yourself and the quality is up and down but man this is so good what what did you shoot this on what kind of camera um, cameras well the, the main camera that we've been shooting with lately is a red epic um that's owned okay. by our, our current uh director of photography evan bucko when we started we shot we were shooting this thing on a sony as7 um that was, you know, back in 2016. And, you know, we needed something that was that we could rent on the weekend that was affordable. Um, combining that with some Zeiss lenses, what we had realized is that the D- that DSLR, that specific DSLR was very good with low light, created a very, you know, a, a very great... Are you great, talking about the Sony? The Sony, yeah. The Sony yeah. image. At the time, you know, at the time, it was something we could afford that actually created a very cinematic image. And we could get that out of the DSLR. Um, but we found its limitations with being able to do stunt work. And then, you know, when you got a cage and you got a bunch of wires hanging off of it and you're trying to swing the camera around, the monitors get, you know, dislodged and it was a lot, lots of trial and error with that. So when we were renting these lenses actually from 
Evan, who became the camera operator for the movie, he was like, why don't you guys just shoot my red? So he started coming out shooting with his red. And so we kind of upgraded at that point. It made production much easier. Um, and we were able to finish the movie with it. But the, I mean, Never Hike Alone is shot with a multitude of cameras. Like there's the Sony a 7 There's a Sony F7. There's a Panasonic Vericam. <laughs> there's a Red Epic. I mean, I use my... Canon Mark, uh, Canon 5D Mark II in some shots. We got a drone, uh, you know, a, a, let me see, a DJI Phantom 3 uh, Pro. And then we used uh, DJI Gimbal, the Osmo, a GoPro. Mm. I mean, there's so much different type of foot. Our, our online editor was so like, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky we're good. And you're lucky that you shot each sequence with one camera. At least you did that because then we can keep the sequence in one color spectrum. But yeah. your movie's all over the place, so we got to try to fix this. So we, it took a lot of time to really kind of iron that out in post, and they did a they did a really great job. But it, I mean, it, nowadays there are so many cameras that can be used. Mm -hmm. Like, it, I mean, it, when you started this four years ago, there was quite a few. But now it's it's crazy uh, how many cameras can can come up with that kind of footage. But how lucky can you be to to have a guy who just happens to have a red available for you? Yeah, and looking for stuff to shoot, um, and yeah. actually being a really cool guy, and now and a really good friend. And you know, so it's it's really cool. And, and a lot of the people that have come on to this company because um, it started out as just a few of us. And now it's when we want to get something done, there's a Rolodex from, you know, uh, development all the way through post-production um, yeah. and even distribution now, because we can do our own distribution for the, you know, being able to figure out how to do Blu-rays through crowdfunding. So, you know, essentially long-term for us, once we start getting into more original projects that we can get funding for and get a little bit out there, I'm sure we'll go through normal distribution streams. But for now, it seems that we have this little kind of corner of the world where we can grow our projects and you know people are, are big friday the 13th fans i'm a huge friday the 13th fan there's a big absence of friday the 13th right now because of the lawsuit um there was an absence because of a lack of being able to develop even before the lawsuit the last film we got was right. in 2009 and they had eight years to make another film and they and they went up and down four times with four different projects that never made it to the screen and eventually scrapped it and that was a big i think that was a a big contributor to the popularity of never hike alone was because in 2017, a film was supposed to come out. And then in January, they canceled it. And that Friday, the 13th date opened. So when Friday, the 13th rolled around that year, people were missing Friday, the 13th and never hike alone sort of stepped in and surprised people because they didn't realize that a fan film could be shot like a traditional feature length film um, using skills that we had because we had all worked in the industry to create something that sort of, you know, it, not quite, you know, what we see in feature films, but pretty good for the independent level, especially with some of the stuff that like that's out there on the independent circuit and the levels of quality that you get, especially in genre. I think that people didn't think that, that a fan film could be taken seriously. And when we did do that, we treated Friday the 13th with a serious tone, too. I think it was a, it was the fresh perspective fans were waiting for because as much as we love the old films and, and, you know, we have the nostalgia for them, their charm of, that they had and the things they got away with in the eighties and maybe even the nineties doesn't quite work on the audiences today. They need something new. They need something fresh. And I think that yeah. never hike alone sort of introduced that in a sort of way that, I mean, it was something I was always looking for. And I, I think I found my kin in the fandom of people who wanted the same thing. Yeah, totally. And I and I totally agree with you about the the difference between audiences what they would accept back then and what we and more importantly what we will accept 
from movies that came out back then that mm-hmm. we wouldn't accept now for a brand new movie coming out. You yeah. know, Friday the Thirteenth would have got canceled before it got started. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> it would never have been released. Yeah, yeah I was right. actually um, wondering about um, uh, just making a, a fan film is a tricky business, especially when it's going on with you know, the ongoing court case between Cunningham and Miller, like what are you actually allowed to do with the Friday the 13th? Are there any limitations with you guys? Um, it, it depends. Um, right now we haven't seemed to find any, uh, there are rules out there. There was a big case in 2000, I believe 15 of about a Star Trek fan film called Axanar, which raised about $1.2 million on Kickstarter and then got sued by CBS and Star Trek, which went into this whole debate about what is the boundary of a fan film. And so Star Trek defined this boundary as a half hour uh, web series that has no cameos. You can only raise $50,000 per episode. They have to be episodes. You can't take storylines from the original you can't continue storylines or redo storylines. You have to come up with all the original material and all these rules. And but that's Star Trek. And so with Never Hike Alone, we started there. We thought we were going to make a 20 minute short. We thought it was going to be, you know, kind of this compact thing that it would be. And then it started to grow. And then all of a sudden we kind of breached 30 minutes and we were like, Ugh, we broke a rule. But maybe they'll let us get away with it. And then for anybody who hasn't watched it, I'm about to spoil something really big. So just close your ears. Um then we get Tom Matthews to agree to be in the film. And we know that like, that's faux pas, like having somebody in the alumni come in to be a part of the film is kind of a, a no, no, but the way we got around it. And I thought paid off for the best for everybody was we didn't tell anybody we got Tom Matthews. We signed him in January and he was, he was signed on all year and we didn't say a word about it. We didn't put his name in our credits to say, Hey, give us more money. Cause we got Tom, you know, it was like, don't tell anybody because when they, get to Friday the 13th and it's been a rough year. And all of a sudden our film, if we've won them over with our film, Tom will be the best cherry on top they've ever had in their entire life. And so when those doors open up the hearts of Friday the 13th fans all over this country and world are going to explode because they see Tom in the role reprising it and, and coming back for at least a moment and opening up to the idea that there could be more adventures with Tom, which I thought was really, really cool and something that we had talked about as we went on with the years. So you know, it was really, um, it, it was like, it was like that culmination of all of that, you know, so we, we were breaking all these kind of like, we started to break the rule systematically kind of there. We re-released thinking like we're going to get sued, you know, nothing happens. I don't hear a word. I've met Sean Cunningham now multiple times. He doesn't even know what Never Hike Alone is. They don't pay attention to the fan films. Thank fan you. films have raised $50,000. We broke $100,000, um, multiple campaigns. Uh, some people even run ads on their movies. And it just seems to be like, I feel like we're in a very wild west time of this fan film boom. Um, and I wonder how long it will be before somebody from a higher up does step down on us. But I will say this. Every time we take a challenge, we go to the press. We make a press release. We say, here are our intentions. We want to raise this much money. We want to create this thing. These are the people that involved. Sue us or else we're doing it. And every time we go to the company, I mean, the trades that people re- read, you know, they release about it and, and enough people are talking about it on social media. It can't like kind of go by without being noticed and nobody says anything. So it's not permission to do it, but it's per- not permission. It's not saying don't do it. So we're kind of in the in the business of we'll ask for forgiveness if they come down the line. But in the meantime, if the fans want it, we'll at least try. We'll give it a shot well, and kind of take it from there. And you're not charging anyone 
for it. So I, I imagine that would make a big difference. They probably are like, what's, you know, what does it matter? They're just doing it and it's going on YouTube or whatever website they have. And yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, we, we ended up making it non-exclusive, but that's one of the rules too, is making it non-exclusive. It's not like we can make it and put it on a secret site where only per certain people can watch it. Then we're making it exclusive. That's another right. pot thing to break. We make it, you know, when people give money to the film, they know that they're not getting anything exclusive that, Somebody who doesn't pay for the film is going to log on to YouTube and watch it for free. We try to give backers something, a piece of it. They get their name in the credit. They get a Blu-ray. They get, um, you know, the Blu-ray we can talk about a little bit, but like a T-shirt or a poster or a pin or just something. You know what I mean? Some people buy the props, which is really cool. Some people have bought the costumes and, you know, have really kind of dove in behind this this um this production and being able to really support it because they when we need to afford something, we say, hey, fans, can we get enough money together to afford to do this. If they get together and, and we all agree to pool the cash together, there's not really, I mean, it's, it's sort of a weird thing. It's like, can you really just stop a bunch of people from getting together and like pulling their money to do something? Um, especially if there's no long-term profit involved. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, all, all these fan filmmakers, like my hat's off to them because everyone will, will feel the same hurt as me is the fact that we do make, a pretty decent amount of money to get in to do the productions, but very rarely do we come out on the other side with additional funds. I mean, we put everything into it and then some of our own cash every time. I mean, I haven't walked out yet being like, Oh, I have, you know, 10 grand laying around. I can just, you know, go to a beach somewhere. It's usually like, I need to scrape together 10 more grand. Cause I want to do something else. You know what I mean? With never hiking the snow, it was like, oh, I want to do a kid, Jason and a mom. And like, <laughs> blow a dude's head off and like it was kind of like a last it wasn't in the original budget and it was like hey we made some extra what else can we do like if the fans backed us more let's make it longer let's make it better let's up the stakes let's get a crane let's get this let's get that let's make it easier for us out there let's get a motorhome so we're not freezing our asses off trying to like paint makeup on people that's not going to work because it's going to be too cold for it to actually stick so we we really just try to make it as put it all into production as much as possible. And then on the back end, it works the same way with Blu-rays. Um, it's not like it's, it's, we, we print how many are ordered. So if we sell 2000, we print 2000 and a little extra, just in case many break and many do the U S postal service is not kind to our Blu-rays. We've lost many wounded and fallen soldiers over the years that have been, have been to replaced. And then you know, the rest of it, you know, I have a couple hundred that I take on the road to go to conventions and usually selling them in a convention usually pays for my travel. So it ends up kind of like working back and forth. And it's just it's allowed me to really get under the skin of, of the horror community all over the country and go to places I've never been before and meet fans in Indianapolis and Atlanta and Chicago and Vegas and Phoenix. And, you know, I've been I haven't traveled so much since I started doing this movie. I was both mostly a homebody. I'm from Massachusetts. I mostly spent most of my time in New England when I was there. I moved out to LA. I didn't really get outside the city. And since I've done Never Hike Alone, I've almost been to every single state to go represent it and talk to people about it, at a, like a film festival or a crowd or a convention. Um, and until COVID last year, I was going to have my first chance to travel internationally ever in my life. Uh, well, I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but I mean like over to Europe and do some stuff in Europe because there's a big interest over there in France and, and, um, and England. So it's, it's, it really just kind of like, when I think back of it, it being an idea and then what it's grown to, it always kind of like just boggles my mind. I'm like, how did, how am I here? That's funny. Yeah. Well, let's, why don't you take us back a little bit? Because I always find it really interesting to, uh, find out what it was that got 
people into horror originally. Mm-hmm. And I think we, most of us have a similar story. I would think, you know, sleepovers and you watch your first horror movie when you're probably too young to see it and it scares mm-hmm. you, but then you love it. Uh, what, what was yours and what, what brought you to the genre? I mean, I think it was my mom. I mean, we grew up, uh, I'd sit down and watch Tales from the Crypt with her. We watched Creepshow. Um, you know, she had a bunch of Stephen King books stacked in her room. So I'd always like flip through the books. And I remember the gunslinger and I'd turn and I'd see the, the picture of Jake getting pulled down by like the gremlins that live in the caves. And it scared me, but I loved it. And then, you know, there was a time when we were at a family gathering and for some reason Pet Cemetery was on TV and I saw Gabe, you know, Gage get hit by the truck and it was the first time I realized that kids can die too and I was like traumatized like in the middle of this party and everybody's like having fun it's like Merry Christmas and I'm like kids can die like no like oh no and I was so scared um but with Jason it was like when I first saw that like VHS tape and I was blown away by the mask and I watched the film and I think I watched part six was definitely one of the first ones I watched and I was convinced that since I grew up on a lake that Jason was at the bottom of my lake or he was in the woods. And so every time I went out and played with the woods with my friend, I mean, we would grip that generation that basically we got up in the morning, we disappeared into the forest all day. And if we survived, we came back and we got to eat dinner. And, um, and that's what we did every day. And we were always out in the forest where we were out in the water swimming. And I'd always think like, how far is he chained down there? Cause it didn't look like he was that far down If the propeller hit his chin. I mean, he's like, he could reach up above the water. <laughs> like how, you know, how's he still down there? And like all those kind of things. So, my mind would spin on it and I just, you know, every time, you know, then I got into Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and, um, you know, God, big Godzilla, you know, fan and King Kong and, and, and just monster movies and everything. And so it just, as I started growing up and then the internet came out, I started to discover international horror films, stuff from Japan, stuff from, um, you know, in Italy. I mean, the Italian horror films, the giallos and some of the, the earlier kind of like Argento and, and Bava and, and Fulci and stuff like that, you know, getting into George Romero and night of the living dead and zombie films, return of the living dead. It, it was all, I mean, I came up during that boom and they were coming out every other week in, in, in the rental store and I was renting them. And my parents were just like, go ahead, watch it, you know? And I would go in my well, room and watch it, be scared and, and love every second of it. Well, you rattled off, you know, a number of, of films and genres there. Uh, and so I would imagine that all of those amazing directors like Bava and, and Argento and all the Carpenter, whoever, uh, mm-hmm. were influences. But who would you say would be, as a filmmaker, uh, would be your 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 biggest uh, influence that if you had to choose one? Or you could pick a couple if you want. I know that's a hard question. Yeah, no, it kind of is. I mean, it's – I mean, I really like Hitchcock because I like the simplicity of, of the, what he does. And then also he's very crafty with his uh, compositions. Um, Spielberg. I know that it's kind of cliche to say Spielberg, but early Spielberg, his camera work and the way he sets up shots and the way he tells story and the way he builds character. It's like, I know the guy's the most, one of the most successful of all time, but you can't, you can't doubt that. Um, You know, there's, there's Kubrick for when you, for, I think where I take that inspiration for how to push the, the, the camera's boundaries for cinematography and lighting and things like that, getting really um, trying to be very kind of interesting. Um, find interesting angles or find something mm-hmm. interesting in a way to shoot or just patterns and production design and really taking the, the high quality approach of trying to build what you're, you know, the, the world you're building. Um, but lately I would say that um, like Gareth Edwards, who did uh, the raid and the raid Two, 
Um, he's, I think he's an amazing director. Uh, Lee Winnell, who, um, recently directed Invisible Woman, his film Upgrade is kind of, is one of my favorite films and Saw was a big influence on me when I was a kid. David Bruckner is another one who I think is, is another kind of modern day filmmaker who's great. Um, Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, those guys. Yeah. I think that those are kind of the people that I'm like, oh, I, I gravitate towards them. Definitely. Um, you know, and, and then obviously some of the big hitters too, like Zack Snyder with some of the stuff that he does. I like the grand epicness of like, even though it gets ridiculous sometimes, um, I think he's really great at pulling scope out of things. So there's, there's, I think I really try to pull from almost every director to see kind of what their, what their biggest brush is, you know, what's the biggest thing they paint with, where do they really approach things with? And then I have to go into my toolkit cause I'm still developing my brushes. I feel like that. I, you know, I, I'm, I think I found some things that I like to do, but I want to get better at stuff too, and maybe develop a few new techniques that I can add into like the old tricks that I have. Um, so really it's, it's, it's kind of, it's constantly, I'm just constantly um, inspired by almost basically any, any movie I watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I feel the same way. It, it would be a hard question to ask mm-hmm. uh, or answer. Uh, Joe, I know you had some. Yeah. Hey, Vincent, I have a question. So you cast yourself as Jason Voorhees. Um, and I, I'm also finding out tonight cause I, I haven't seen the others, but you've done a Halloween, uh, fan mm-hmm. film as well. So you're probably the only individual to portray Jason Voorhees and Mike Myers, Tom Morga. He did, uh, oh. J- Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th part five is dream Jason and Roy. And then he played, I think part four, Michael Myers a little bit okay. before he, but he was replaced on four, but he, he's done it twice. Um, I know somebody else who hasn't, who's in Halloween kills as a stunt, Michael, who's also been a Jason that hasn't been announced yet. Um, so I can't spoil that for them. Um, but it, it's, it's fun. So, I mean, I, I cast myself by necessity. It was my costume. I was building a cosplay. I thought I was doing a five minute short. It was built for me. I had been studying the moves and I thought, okay, we can handle this. Um, and as the film kind of grew, and it went from 15 to 20 to 30 to 50 minutes. Um, I ended up bringing a stunt coordinator on and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and that. I need to get trained in this. And she was like, eh, maybe we want to get you a double. And I had actually made a friend uh, through some other filmmaking, Brian Forrest, who came on uh, to be my stunt double. And we talked about the things of like, if Vinny, the actor got hurt, well, that's one thing because we can just have someone step into the costume and do it. But as, if any the director is also hurt, then there's no one on set to run the set. So there were certain things that when it came time for any high impact stuff, anything that was like that I could get injured, we always did both of us. Um, and we always kind of had Brian do the lead. I would come in and do inserts and like kind of more articulated acting moments. Um, so really it is shared between Brian and I, and Brian gets the stunt double credit. I get the lead credit because I kind of, I crafted the movements and he copies my movements and I work him through it, how to do it, how I would do it. Um, but Brian deserves a lot of credit for the work that he's done. And quite often people are like, I love the part where you did that. And I was like, mm, that was Brian. And Vincent, you know, how tall are you? Because I watched like behind the scenes of the making of uh, never hike alone and how tall are you? Because you look pretty tall. I'm 6'3". 6'3", okay. And also, um, I, I saw on uh, like behind the scenes, uh, I love the fact that you put on a hockey mask and went out like in your backyard on the trails and just like mm-hmm. to do the movements of Jason and all that. Did you ever bump into anybody while you were wearing the mask? Oh, oh yeah, all the time. And, <laughs> oh, like, my gosh. Freak them out. 
And so they'd catch me out there and I'd have like a camera or something and I'd lift up the mask. But hey, I'm just, you know, I'm just making videos and they'd laugh and go, oh, you like Friday the 13th? Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of have a moment. Um, But really for me, it was like I was really serious about like I didn't want to look like an idiot on camera trying to play Jason. Um, It took a lot of practice to really kind of figure it out. It also took a lot of practice to wear the mask and kind of figure out where you were going, Uh, especially when we created our own mask, the Ghost Hawk. It's different from the the normal masks. And so wearing it took a little bit of getting used to because of the whole pattern, because of the way it sat on the face. It was different than the traditional sort of um, thin plastic mask that you usually get as recast. So they like get right up on your face and your eyes right here. And we didn't want that. I didn't want to see my eye. Uh, the whole idea of Ghost Jason is the fact that he's undead and he's got no eyes and they're just sockets back there. So we just wanted dark holes like where the masks are, we don't want anything behind there. And mm. so it was kind of like building that mask, trying to figure out how to walk in it, trying to just move around with a, a silicone head on and like, you know, stunt padding and these silicone, we call them the jelly gloves because they're so thick and like, you can't really grip things. You have to be really careful and precious with them and walking in military boots that like are not that comfortable. <laughs> I don't know how military yeah. people used to march miles in those things because mm-hmm. uh, my feet would kill me at the end of the day and i mean it, it it's a physical toll you're sweating the whole time i mean i there were times we had to stuff like rags in in the silicone because i was just sweating profusely it's like 95 degrees out we're in a in the hills of malibu trying to shoot these scenes with you know the no trespassing sign fence where you know kyle's trying to run away that's all like in in this back trail in malibu where it's got like really cool like vegetation And it's just, it's hot. And so like when you're out there and you're getting dehydrated and you're trying to direct and you're trying to act and try to do it all, it really, um, it takes quite a bit of uh, self-control and and practice to really kind of get it. Did you, um, I I know with the mask, uh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the uh, notch where the ax was done. Was that a a purposeful choice uh, not to include that or had you, did you consider doing the, the ax notch? Totally. I mean, it, w- it was a question of where do we pick up? Where where does the story begin? Um, and for me, Friday the 13th ended at part eight. It was the Paramount error. It, I mean, even though seven and eight are ridiculous movies, they still somehow managed easy to survive. On my, seven. Easy on part seven. I, I know, but I mean, it's sort of part eight. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I'm, you really I'm, you walked into one this time because oh you got one guy here who loves part seven and you've oh. got another guy who loves part loves eight. Part, I, yeah, I, part I, eight. I agree with He's you, chill. by the way, but I love part. Eight. No, I love. Don't get me wrong. I love part eight. I'm just acknowledging. I know how ridiculous it is. I still love it because it's. It, yeah. I think it's Kane's best performance. I think he really owned the character in that one. I do like yeah. the look of Manhattan Jason um, with that. Yeah, but if, if we think about it, I mean, especially if you guys are seven, eight fans. First of all, the mask in seven's gone. So True. that one's done. How that guy got a mask with an axe mark in it in part eight, who knows? It's very yeah. coincidental. And that's kind of a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that's part where like Friday the 13th is like, we're just going to be coincidental. We just want to put the axe mark. We're, just, it, we're not going to ask any questions. We're just going to do it. Well, your, so, your so, mask, your mask in, in uh, Never Hike Alone, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it's it's a, a big favorite with uh, a lot of the fans, even just with the, yeah. just with the. I mean, it must be amazing to have the fans of Friday Thirteenth just embrace your films that are including your films mm-hmm. into even the rankings 
of, you know, I mean, like, what's that like just knowing that, you know, hardcore Friday 13 fans are embracing you like this and putting you in a rake? And even uh, you had dead meat do a, a kill mm-hmm. count. I mean, yeah, that's, we've had to- that's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, I met James at a convention and, and he's been, we've been mutual fans of each other and supporters of each other ever since. So that's been really cool. And like I said, it's, it's a humbling experience. I mean, coming out to LA as a filmmaker, my dream was to one day work on a Friday the 13th film. I didn't care if I was getting people coffee. I just wanted to be on set with an actor portraying Jason, seeing the special effects, seeing how it's done, seeing how it's made. And my career took me in an opposite path and it took me kind of sacrificing everything to give myself the opportunity in the long run, give myself what I always wanted, which was to be somewhat associated to the Friday the 13th franchise and to have my mark in it. And um, like a lot of the alumni who are just in one film, you know, even just for a bit moment, even a bit part, you know, they have maybe 10 lines in the movie or maybe even just one line in the movie. They can still go to a convention and rake it in and people still write to them. And, you know, getting to know Vinnie Guastafara and Tom Matthews, they've done a lot of things in their careers. They're, they were working actors. They did a lot of stuff. And to this day, they still get the letters. They still get the the fans interacting with them. And it, there's just something about the Friday the 13th community and this franchise that kind of draws us all together. And, and it, it feels like a little bit like each film is its own year of high school with a, you know, with a cast of characters that are in a yearbook. And then those that yearbook gets together for like a reunion or they come, you know, so it's like you kind of they mix and match. And so I think right now it kind of turned into like this fan film sort of thing. Like the players of the fan films are now kind of, I wouldn't say we're on the same level as the alumni, but there's sort of like an own like fans supporting each other. Like, Hey, like we can do it too. And I think that that's sort of cool. And just to jump back on the mask real quick, the idea behind that mask was that it was a brand new one, but brand new being that it was born of crystal Lake unlike the other masks. And so what I came up with this backstory was, is that in 1958, we have the murders. They shut the camp down. They try to open it in 63 and 67. One of those years, Steve Christie, who's been trying to open it up, shows up with some hockey equipment, thinks he's going to do an ice camp, and then half the camp burns down. So now he takes all this hockey equipment that he's got, and he stuffs it in a back locker room somewhere. And lo and behold, somewhere down the line, there are hockey masks there. And so these masks come out from, in fact, in Never Hike in the Snow, we show it. We show this box that says Winter 67 on it, and there's a bunch of masks on the ground. So you can see, like, okay, Jason got washed out to sea at the end of Part 8 because Rennie was high on heroin, and that is not Jason. Um, And Jason got washed out to sea, and there's no clothes, there's no mask, there's nothing. He's just this worn-down nothing. He returns to Camp Crystal Lake. He's got a redress himself he's got to find a new mask and he he finds it with things that are in the camp and we actually have a story about kind of how he gets the costume from somebody who finds his way through camp in the early kind of times which is a another thing we wanted to do but ultimately when i was looking at a new look at jason i was like what do i love about the old stuff what do i hate about the new stuff is there a way to bring those two worlds together because i don't hate the theory of what they're trying to do with the jacket and the shirt and sort of what they were trying to build. I just thought that their their templates of what they were using were the wrong materials. They were using the wrong colors. They were using the wrong mm-hmm. size of elements. Like the 2009 jacket was too big. The Freddy versus Jason jacket looked like a hobo jacket. And Jason X doesn't look like Jason at all. And neither does Jason goes to hell. I mean, all those mm-hmm. Jasons sort of like were completely different from the Jason that I used to. So I wanted to go back to that general shape, something between Ted Wright, White and CJ Graham. 
instead of a jacket being some giant thing, what if you strip down an M65 jacket from, you know, like an old like vet's jacket and maybe he took it off an old Vietnam vet or he took it off some vet that had this jacket that was all worn down and weathered over these years. It kind of resembles the old Sears work shirt. So you get yeah. the jacket, all the great things of the jacket of it being to open up and move as he moves around, like in the shot where I throw the ax at, at Kyle um, and never hike alone. There's a great shot. I walk up, I, I turn, I throw it and you see that the, you know, the jacket whip out and it looks really great. And you know, the gray shirt underneath with the blood stain on it and the brown pants, it really just kind of brought that part six, part four palette together. And it also matched what we were doing at the camp. The camp is very green and brown, the tall pines, the brown bark, the brown buildings, the green tiles. It was like all thematically there. And, and to bring that mass together was based on something that Steve Christie would have brought in 1960. So we researched masks from 1960s. I showed those masks to the folks at CFX in Louisiana. We had a design kind of in mind that was a little too technical. It would have been a really hard build. So we took sort of like the old mask and that mask and kind of combined two things, worked with the whole patterns a little bit. And then it came down to the choice of, do we put chevrons on it? And I saw the first pass pain of it. And one of the things that was in my concept was this piece of damage on this mask that looked like an F on the cheek. And so they worked that into the design. And I, as I was looking at it as, as a blank at that point, I was sort of like, I feel like that's our Chevron and we should leave the rest of it off. And in terms of like Friday the 13th lore, like, I mean, the Chevrons were always washing off anyway. I mean, they were only nice in part three. And by the end of part three, they're almost half gone. In part four, they're barely there. And everything else is just the triangle on the forehead. So for me, except for part eight, that's got the little cheeky things. But um, for me, I was kind of like, if this mask even have Chevrons, they wash off a long time ago. He's been wearing it that long. They're gone. Also, Jason... From the originals, the true Jason, the franchise Jason, that's a paramount Jason, he wears red chevrons. Roy has blue chevrons. We're a fan film. We're not official. We have no chevrons, and that's our look. And that's how the whole look kind of came together. It was all not like – it wasn't just thrown together. It was inspired by something in the series that then grew into something that became what was going to be on screen. And so everything isn't just like a random choice. It's studying the films very hard and then trying to say like, now with my taste – this is how I put it together. And that's how we ended up coming up with what the fans now dub ghost Jason. Well, I think it, all of this detail really shows it definitely um, it, you can see, I mean, I didn't know that you had that kind of a history uh, of thought behind all of this. You really but, have your bases covered. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it comes out, you know, mm -hmm. and it sort of reminds me a little bit of, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and uh, Tolkien he he wrote Lord of the Rings and he wrote The Hobbit and that was pretty much his two works. But he created this entire world around it that came out posthumously, really, because of his sons uh, bringing all of these books out and and all of these stories that he'd written of that world. And even though you didn't know all of those stories, you felt that history, and that that's what it sounds like there too. Um, I I wouldn't lie if I said I feel like. Somewhere in an alternate reality, I'm a I'm a town resident of Crystal Lake. I feel yeah. like I have lived there. I feel like I could go there and point out where different things happened. I, I can see points in history that if you wanted to expand the story of Friday the 13th, how it could be expanded into times of the past and times of the future and, and sort of this – what's a great mythology for this land? What, what's a great mythology for this franchise? And, mm. and 
you know, because it's such a silly franchise at the same time, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a, right. it, it is a silly franchise because, like Joe was even talking about in our last podcast, is he's going, we need a prequel of Shelley from Part yeah. 3. We need a storyline of Shelley. Yeah, I would love to see a sitcom with the character of Shelley before he even goes to camp where he's just the rundown high school kid that's always getting picked on and the book's knocked out of his hands, which is why he develops this horrible self-esteem problem that he's got that he's like, the minute I'm around a girl, they're just going to make fun of me and I might as well enjoy it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, these characters grow with us, Um, you know, as a writer and someone in, in that creative world, I mean, quite often sometimes like, and, uh, Tarantino had a really good quote the other day. Um, I think it was Samuel Jackson was talking about, or somebody was talking to was supposed to meet up with Quentin Tarantino for a dinner and Quentin Tarantino texted them an hour before the dinner and said, Hey, I can't make it. I just wrote this scene and I want to see what these characters do because I don't know what they're going to do yet, but I'm going to unleash them in my head and they're going to act it all out. And I don't control them. They're only characters who play in my mind. And it's true when you write, sometimes characters come to life in your mind or when you watch a movie, you, you connect with them so much that you feel like even though they're only on screen for a total of maybe 20 minutes that you could, you would, if you walked into a room, you feel like, you know, them. you feel like, you know, who they were, where they came from, where they're going, because they somehow represent either you or someone, you know, or, you know, someone you idolize or someone you want to be or someone who you don't want to be, um, and, you know, that's that's the power of cinema and story because it gets into our heads and that's really where it goes to live. And I think for me, Friday the 13th did that. It went into my head and I would imagine all these different scenarios to the point where sometimes I had to think back of like, wait, what was in the movies and what was in my head? Yeah. What was the scene that happened in my head that I made up because I had a dream about it and it was really vivid, which became one of the things that ended up in Never Hike Alone, which was when um, Kyle's trying to crawl away and Jason grabs his foot. I used to have that dream all the time. I would be trying to crawl in the bushes and like spy on Jason because I wanted to see what he did between the films. And he would spot me and I'd try to crawl away and he'd grab my foot and try to pull me out of the bush and then I'd wake up. Mm. Um, and so I was like, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to make that happen on screen. And so I think that, um, you know, that's kind of why these these films really do that, because they always did a great job of sort of capturing the youth of the time of that the film came out and putting them on screen. And since of a lot of us kind of were at some age or the other where we were capturing that for the first time, you know, going through there, we, we recognize those characters. And so we have that affinity for, I think, the entire story. Uh, Vincent, I've got uh, one more question for you, and it's mm -hmm. um, what is your favorite Friday the 13th movie? And of course, why is it Jason Takes Manhattan? <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually is Jason Lives. Um, I grew up a big fan of Tom Matthews as Tommy Jarvis and just that whole look. I think what Tom McLaughlin did with the series. I mean, I'm a big fan of Final Chapter 2. My, my ranking goes uh, Jason Lives, Final Chapter, Part 2. Those are my top three. I think that those kind of like encapsulate the, the series, all three of those um, in different stages and forms, but really well executed films. Um, and one of the things that we took from Jason Lives was one of the things that scared me the most as a kid, which was Jason's face from that film, which when they lit it in that film, it was dark. So you couldn't really see it, but you saw enough. So like your mind kind of filled in the gaps and our never hike alone. When we did our face, we took sort of the same 
approach to it because we only had a little bit of money. We could only do the face from one angle, but we thought, hey, if we show it, let's cast a lot of it in shadow and only show pieces, like show a little bit of the damage, show us a little bit of this, but let people's minds fill in those blanks because that's really where whatever they're most afraid of, that's going to come out and that's going to do the work for us. So that was really kind of a, you know, we took that inspiration from when they kind of take that approach with Jason's face versus like, say a part seven or even a part eight where like they kind of show the face and it doesn't really do it much service. Uh, It actually makes Jason either look like a Muppet or just a big pumpkin. Yeah. That's true. A big white pumpkin head. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 you know, well, Knightly, took Manhattan too, you know. <laughs> yeah. or when nightly Manhattan flushes the, the sewage with uh, a whole bunch of uh, yeah, death yeah, chemicals yeah. every and, night at midnight, yeah. toxic waste. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was know. actually great that you actually brought back uh sheriff Cologne, uh, back into, uh, uh, never hike in the snow. I mean, that was really great to see him. It's great to, that you brought that actor back. Yeah, I mean, well, once we once we had Tom, we definitely I one of the first people I talked to Tom about that was I was like, I want to get Vinny back because Rick survived. So if you have a nemesis, it's got to be Rick because he's got to hate you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it would be the greatest. And it turns out Vinny and Tom are friends and they live oh, wow. 15 minutes away from each other. I live two minutes away from Tom now. Um, and they're hilarious. Uh, they were a pleasure to work with on Never Hike in the Snow. The fact that Rick is there to be Rick the Dick um, yeah. and be the antithesis to to Tommy's character, trying to prove that Jason is still real. There's, there's such a good kind of back and forth. So that's, a, again, another storyline that I'm really looking forward to telling as we uh, propel the story forward. That's great. Yeah. yeah can, can uh, we one talk? thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Yeah, one other time, folks. Please. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just excited. We're, we're really talking Friday 13th. I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited right now. I know. You, we'll, we'll get to you, Mark. <laughs> uh, it, uh, I did want to get to Womp Stomp Films, though, and talk a little bit about that. But I, I know, Joe, you had some other things you wanted to ask about these movies yeah. particularly. I, I did have a question because, honestly, uh, my opinion of fan films was – not researched. I, I had the same general opinion as most people do thinking, Oh, it's just shot with somebody's VHS camera. I, I saw yours and I was absolutely blown away. Just absolutely stunned with the quality uh, and, and the writing and cinematography and everything else. But the one thing I'm most particularly intrigued about was the quality of the special effects. Um, they were top notch. And I, yeah. the, the one that sticks out in my head the most is from Never Hike in the Snow. What is it? A shovel in the jaw? The axe. Um, yeah, the axe. the axe. That was um, literally so, what I was going to talk about. So perfect, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who's doing your special effects? Is this like a graduate of the Tom Savini School of Art? Or Actually, yes. Um, okay. Um, so let's go back to Never Hike Alone quick first. Not a, not okay. a graduate of Tom Savini. Uh, it's a woman by the name of Kelsey Burke. She's a fantastic artist. She created the crushable Andrew head, the sewed up wound on the leg. I mean, all the stuff in Never Hike in, in Alone, she did for the first film. She was amazing. She's on our, our behind the scenes documentary. Um, and right after she did Never Hike Alone, her career blew up. I mean, she's working on big big shows. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, she's barely in LA anymore because she's always off in some remote place making some big show. Like she was working on swamp thing and, you know, she's working on other big kind of like really big studio stuff now. So, um, you know, we missed her. And then I ended up doing, um, so we were like, you know, Kelsey was off. I was always texting her like, Hey, I want to do another one. I want to do this. I want to do that. She was like, I would love to, I'm just slammed. And, you know, we'll just figure out a time. And then I ended up going out to do a film called 13 fanboy. Uh, 
Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but Deb Voorhees from Friday the 13th Part 5 uh, is out in New Mexico and is directing her own feature film called 13 Fanboy about an actress who's a daughter of a Friday the 13th alumni who is being stalked by the same stalker who killed her mother or her grandmother, I believe. And so this this like kind of crazy person has kind of come back and has started to attack the Friday the 13th alumni again, sort of putting her in the center of the action. Um, and I went down to, and I met Deb from doing Never Hike Alone and all that stuff. And I went down and I helped her with the teaser. She ended up casting a couple of friends of mine, one of them being Andrew Lighty from Never Hike Alone. He plays um, the lead character's boyfriend in the movie, uh, one of the suspects in the film, which is really cool. Um, the lead actress is another friend of ours, uh, Haley Greenbauer. Um, a good friend of mine, Ben Meredith, who shot on Never Hike Alone, ended up shooting about half the film uh, uh, for 13th Fanboy. So there was a good, there was other, thir- there was other Friday the 13th fan filmmakers out there. Um, and I met this, and to get to the question, uh, I met an FX artist by the name of Nora Hewitt. So Nora was on Face Off, I believe, season nine. She won. Um, Nora and I hit it off right away. We became uh, pretty good friends. I pitched her the Disappear music video. I told her about Never Hike in the Snow, all the things I wanted to do. And I said, hey, I think if we do this Disappear music video, that will propel us to be able to make Never Hike in the Snow. Making Never Hike in the Snow might be, you know, and we show a higher budget version of what we did in Never Hike Alone for whatever we can do to figure out like, because we wanted to upgrade in that next film we wanted to be like okay we kind of shoestrung that one together and it was really tough let's just try to shoot it traditionally like six straight days let's get it done the right way with the right crew and not kind of like make ourselves accessible by trying to do it the cheap way and ended up kind of biting us in the ass almost every single time um so nora came out and started doing our stuff for that um and are are all these people uh doing it getting paid, you know, a usual rate or are they doing it a, a lower rate? They want to yeah. Everybody's working at a discounted rate. We do. I mean, we're in LA, so I, I do have it, the only way to get people to commit is to buy their time. Right. If I can, and you know, and be like, Hey, can I only give you this much? And just to, just to secure your time for this much. But the caveat is what you don't take as a personal income. I'm putting into your budget for equipment. And materials. So you want that next level lens here. Don't take the money for you. Put it in the lens. You want to blow up someone's head and make it look really good. Well, don't take what you usually take. Just put it into the materials. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, we do know that like we all want to be able to pay our bills. You know, at the end of the day, I have to work on the side to save up money. Mm-hmm. So I can take time off and then I can pay all these other people that I've recruited to kind of come on, whether it's a prop maker across the country who's going to build all of our axes or, you know, we had Bill Hunt, who was a effects artist in um, on Jason Goes to Hell, who lives in New Zealand now. He's also an effects artist on uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, he did all of our concept work for free Wow! just because wow. he loved what we were doing. And he was just like, you inspire me to work back in this. I want to, I would just, what can I do for you? And so it was like, Hey, let's work together and, and being really respectful of people's time, um, taking our time because the, what, the way I see it's like, we have the saying, it's like, you can either have it cheap, fast, or good. You can only have two, mm-hmm. you know what right. I mean? Pick two. So we go for, um, we kind of go for cheap and good. So it takes right. a little bit more time to put it together because, hey, you need an extra month to do that. Okay, let's delay the schedule out. Let's give you the time you need, not rush into production and put everybody's ass to the flame, but do it like professionals and not push the boundary. Like the the quality of the movie comes before everything else. And if something's going to sacrifice that, we don't do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where the mantra came from because we're – 
these films are giving us the ability to step onto a set with a budget that we don't normally have. You know, we did an original film called Pathosis. We were only able to raise about $7,000. You know, I did a home video campaign for Never Hike in the Snow. I made $50,000. Wow. And that ended up paying, like, what we ended up paying, paying for um, personally on the first film, that's how I got out of debt, was doing that home video campaign. Was I was in tremendous debt from that thing. And that that bailed us out. And doing the second home video campaign, we were able actually able to donate a lot of that money. But some of it went into pathosis, and we were able to pay for our, our location, and we used that other money to get the film made. Um, you know, and everything else I've made has probably been sub sub two thousand dollars. You know, all the other shorts that I've done, uh, no budgets. But these films, all of a sudden, I get to walk in with you know a, a seventy five thousand or fifty thousand dollar budget. And we can put together six solid days with, you know, thinking about like, okay, we get two, three effects. Let's make them count. Where do we put them in the film? And I think what I really loved about the assembly of Never Hiking the Snow in the end was it opens with a meaty kill and it ends with a meaty kill. And in the middle is something that you don't usually get in Friday the 13th, which is story and character. Mm -hmm. um, or I say that, but in the better films, the story and character stand out. The characters yeah. in the final chapter, the characters in part six, those they're good stories. The characters have something to do. They all have goals. They drive you through the film, and some of it, is, it doesn't even have to do anything with Jason. So right. they're entertaining no matter where they go. And so we needed to do that in the middle, open people's eyes up to something they've never maybe seen or maybe they had thought about before with Jason, him seeing his mother. That was sort of a special moment that we wanted to do. And then you know, ultimately just – Look at what happens when someone dies. You know, we always celebrate the kill. Exactly. And um, I, I was actually uh, thinking of that because one of my favorite seasons in Never Hiking the Snow was when Mark's mother was looking at his at her son's picture. And he, here's the thing. it's And she just breaks down crying. Friday 13th fans never really get a scene where there's an aftermath of family grieving over a lost loved one. Besides mm -hmm. in um, part four. Just part like, four? Like two seconds of you see like grieving parents, you know, when Jason's being rolled past them at the beginning yes. of the movie in the hospital. And then and then Rob Dwyer a little bit, too. But he's yeah. not, they, there's a little bit of the cry when they're panning past. And then Rob Dwyer never really gets like sorrowful about his sister. Mm -hmm. He just kind of says, you know, she was a good kid, but he's yeah. not like in that that feeling of loss. And so yeah. and of I, course, like Never Hiking the Snow ends with a cliffhanger. And it stops and people were like, wait, I want more. And we're like, yeah, we want to give you more, but you know, we can only afford so much. And obviously COVID mm -hmm. came out, so we couldn't do anything bonus. But the whole concept was, is like, these are characters in a bigger story. So what's nice is, is that that Diana Hill character isn't just somebody for Never Hike in the Snow. She's in the other projects too. And she mm -hmm. plays a very pivotal role as we continue the story of like Tommy finding Kyle and then them okay. coming back to town and then she's getting caught in the middle. And of course we have Rick there and Rick, you know, he's never seen Jason before. He doesn't even really know if he exists. No, he's locked up in, uh, in, in the jail cell. In the jail cell. Um, and, and so there's the suspicion is, is Jason real or is it all Tommy? And so there's lots yeah. of cool things that we're setting in motion that it feels like we made our pilot episode and now we want to make the rest. And so the original idea was split it up in the episodes like they asked to in, in the rules and stuff like that. And, and we were given that a shot. I feel like after the response that I got back from Never Hiking the Snow about how everybody just wanted the whole thing, um, I think if we go back into crowdfunding for the next part, we're going to try and do the whole thing. We're gonna, just going to go for it. Go for a yeah. $250,000 budget and see if we can get 5,000 fans to buy Blu-rays and hopefully raise enough. Um, well it seems like the building up, you know, you, you've done the first projects and everything, you're building momentum. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if you got that. 
but which brings me to uh, Womp Stomp, because uh, I, I did I did not realize until just today actually that uh, that Womp Stomp uh, also did a couple uh, Halloween fan films, and that you played uh, as Joe had said earlier, you played Michael. Uh, and and so who is Womp Stomp? And uh, who all is involved in in that? Is it your baby, or mm-hmm. are you in it with a f- several people, or how yeah. did it work? I, I founded it um, back in 2016. It was just a handle that I've been using online for years. Um, it's it's derivative from an old Star Wars game where you put in the the code Wampa Stampa and you got to be a Wampa in the level and go smash stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. So I just loved that password, and so it was a code for everything that I did. And then Womp Stomp came is, out of it. That is that's the, perfect. That's oh the best my backstory. Gosh, it's awesome. <laughs> um, and so, and so, yeah, it kind of that, and then it started with uh, me, a good friend of mine, Kyle Klein, Chris Thellis, J.D. Martz, um, uh, John uh, Cabrera, and Andrew Lady, and then eventually we added Ben Meredith and Evan Butka and Kara Michelotti, who's our line producer now, and these are all people that just. From the process of making a film, we were a snowball. We were adding people. You know, we were meeting, you know, Matt Richardson, who's our first AC, who also doubled as our gaffer sometimes. We just met, like, Gonzalo, who's our new gaffer. We have Hermexiel, who's our key grip. We, you know, these people that sort of were assembled, like, we assembled teams, and then our friends were assembling parts of their crews. Like, the, you know, the, our cinematographer was finding his gaffer and his, his grip and those people that he was going to work with. And I was finding the special effects people and the cinema, you know, like, our composer is a friend of mine that I knew through Muay Thai. So we trained together um, and he found out I was doing Ever Hike Alone. He was like, man, I work in music. I've always wanted to compose. I compose a lot, but I don't really get a wow. chance. I just want something to work on it. And he came out and just did Never Hike Alone because he wanted to. Yeah, um, that's funny because I was going to ask you about the music because the music is is fantastic. And I, I have you. a feeling that was going to be one of Joe's questions too because mm-hmm. I, I know music is a big part of, of what he enjoys in movies as well. Yeah. We also added another good friend of mine, Austin Boning, to our roster as one of the other directors. So he's a he's a pre-vis, super, pre-vis supervisor at the third floor. So he worked on Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Avatar. Um, what's he working on right now? He's working on uh, Doctor Strange. You know what I mean? Like so, like he works on big films and he wanted to direct and he needed an outlet for it. And I'm like, hey, I created this little island. Do you want to come hang out? And we were able to make Pathosis for him, which was his baby. And I, you know, so I can step back. And forth. I can produce just as well as I can direct. So sometimes I like just kind of stepping back and giving my creative brain a rest and getting the, the spreadsheets out and saying, okay, if we want to do this, we got to do it in five days and you got yeah. this much money. And, you know, I think if we call this person, we can kind of get this and get a deal and, you know, put it together because it's really rewarding to go out and not only make things for yourself, but also help other people make things. So like Womp Stomp gets involved as a co-producer in a lot of things. So all of the Halloweens that we've done are all co-productions. The first being uh, the Spirit of Haddonfield with Renee Rivas Productions, a good friend of mine, Renee Rivas, who I met wow. through. And I've met all these people through Never Hike Alone, which is, which is the best part. So it's Renee's movie. I came out. I act as a consultant. I played Michael. I try to bring him resources. And when we execute, the second one was... Uh, the Face of Michael Myers, which was um, Hawthorne House Productions. Stephen Wolf was the director. That was a Indiegogo that didn't that didn't catch, unfortunately. It was one of my favorite Michael stories that I've heard. Um, great costume as well. Uh, we had a mask by Justin Mabry. Um, a very good uh, uh, cosplay costume suit for it. Um, Did you have to use your own created mask for Michael, or or could you have used one like? you know, the million that you can find. You oh know. yeah. I mean, in, in spirit of Haddonfield, we use the trick or treats H2, you know, okay. uh, but I, you know, I found that like, 
that was okay. But when I, when I met Justin Mabry, who actually is one of the co-creators of, of Trick or Treat, and he has another uh, studio called Nighthawk Studio, they're, they're a little bit more accurate. Mm. Using something that was accurate and really, really good, done by like custom made for us, yeah. um, it really sold on screen. And then yeah. uh, Cortland Gordon, who's in, um, who's in Never Hike in the Snow, is Mark Hill. Uh, and another friend of his, uh, Jimmy Champagne, who's a YouTube blogger who uh, talks about Halloween a lot, had come up with the idea for the film that we did last year called Happy Halloween which was based on, you know, 2018, like kind of a space between that movie where he kind of branched off and killed a few more people before he got back on the Lori, the Lori storyline. Um, and so, yeah. And so while we were prepping for, uh, or we had done never hike in the snow and I was talking to Cortland and we were kind of coordinating for stuff cause we were doing ADR, uh, for the movie. And he was like, Oh, we're going to do a uh, Halloween, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh yeah. Who's playing your Michael? And he was like, Oh, we don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, I play Michael, right? And he's like, Oh yeah. Like come out and do it. And so next thing I know, I'm buying a, a plane ticket to Michigan. We're flying out to Michigan, three crazy nights, you know, in the freezing Michigan, uh, cold fall, uh, shooting in cornfields and all these other places, uh, and having a lot Was of fun. It but actually we... shot during Halloween, uh, time because there were a lot of yeah. decorations everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were shooting, um, oh, man, it was a couple weeks. I mean, I think we shot it two weeks before. Uh, mm. they, it was a real rush production. Um, I mean, they threw together the storyline on like a week. Um, we went up and shot it, but what I like about that, it's a challenge. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we have the pieces, we got most of it figured out, but this, this doesn't have like what we normally do, which is like the big pre-production. And we know every single shot we're going to do. We know how to plan for everything. We just have a general idea that we have to dedicate time to and figure out on the fly, which is fun. You know, mm. it kind of reminds me of a 48-hour film project more than a traditional film that we would normally do. So I like going out there. All those kids were way younger than me. I'm 37. They're all in their 20s. Um, and so I'm trying to keep up with the kids. But every now and then, old man Ben would be like, I'm going back to the car to go get warm. <laughs> Let me know yeah. when these lights yeah. are set up. Um, and yeah. Or like talking with Cortland about like doing a one like he wanted to do a one and he was trying to figure out the mechanics to it and being like, okay, let's think about like, if you're going to like, let's direct now walk him through those steps and kind of coach him. And I, I really like doing that. Um, I'm working right. on actually this project right here. Um, Jason rising right now uh, by these two guys, James sweet and Carl uh, Winery who are up in Portland and uh, Washington uh, respectively. Um, I was just, I just got back from Portland uh, oh. today. Yeah. That's what yeah, I've, I've, been, yeah. I've been watching a lot of that on uh, your Twitter feed mm-hmm. and all that uh, raising funds for uh, Jason Rising. It looks really promising. Yeah, so we've been working with them for almost two years now. COVID really knocked them back. We were supposed to finish last spring. We had to push everything back. And finally, then when the things were open up, we were picking up where we left off. We were able to just, I think every independent filmmaker, even though COVID sucked, I think allowed us all to kind of go back to the projects we were trying to get out last year yeah. and like say like, hey, we got nothing to do but tinker. So let's make everything better. Yeah. What a uh, great what a great community, though. You know, you guys are working together. You you have your own um, uh, Jason series going on, and uh, but yet you go when you contribute to somebody else's there's that you know it's just that you don't see that i mean i live in la too and you don't see that in the in the community out here certainly not in the big community but in the indie community you can find it yeah and i mean that's that's what i've learned about the community is is being on the convention circuit meeting filmmakers from all over the country uh they've all just become friends and like you know helping these guys out um has been a lot of fun and this is like a final chapter story so this is more like final chapter verse as if nothing ever happened after final chapter and it kind of goes from there and it's got its own thing so it's like it's cool it shows that like it's like 
the multiverse. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we can get this version of Jason, but we can also have this version of Jason. Yeah. And it can go in any stream as long as it's entertaining and it has some good kills in it. Like, you're going to have people watch it. And so, you know, these guys inspired me by what they were doing. I ended up becoming a co-producer and co-writer on the project um, to help them develop it a little bit further. I'm working on a Nightmare on Elm Street fan film called Dylan's New Nightmare that's bringing back Nico Hughes, who played little Dylan Porter in, in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Wow. It's a sequel to that as if Dylan grew up and, and Freddy somehow hung on to that one kernel of fear and grew all these years. And now that he's an adult dealing with stress and anxiety, Freddie's using that to come back. Um, it was an idea by the, uh, by the guy by the name of Cecil Laird, who runs the horror show on YouTube. And so we became friends who never hike alone when he wanted to do this. The first person he talked to was me because he wanted to know the, the aspects of how to do the crowd fund, how to do the productions, wanted to upgrade his own directing skills and things like that. So I like taking on the mentorship, because it helps me. It helps me kind of because we're always hard on ourselves, right? Like when we're doing something, if we fuck up, we're the worst person in the world. We suck. We should stop. But when we're helping a friend and they screw up, we don't say that to them. We say, no, pick yourself back up. Keep going. Like, it's okay. Like you made that decision because it seemed like the right decision at the time, but now you know it's not and you have time to fix it. So let's fix it and not wallow about it. Or, yeah. hey, no. Yeah, I'm already, I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking about uh, just uh, introducing you at the beginning of the podcast and I'm still wallowing in uh, my misery. <laughs> exactly. And so like and, – and the thing is like we, no, the three of us don't care. It's funny you know, and yeah. we get to pick on each other about it and, and it's not a big deal. And, and I think some of that self-anxiety, even the stuff that I deal with, you know – it I, I it really helps me if I can help other people because then those words almost echo back on me sometimes because I remember like, hey, you know, if I was coaching myself, I would say this. So, okay, get over yourself and now move forward. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool. And, and, you know, there's other people that, you know, I'm working with Renee again this year. He's got an original short that we're going to work on. Because of COVID, I changed one of my projects into an animated project. So I'm back in animation now developing a project called Ghost Chicken, which is about a vegan restaurant ha haunted by the ghost of a chicken, um, <laughs> which is going to be a fun thing that we're going to develop all year. And, you know, we're going to have Womp Sound Films' first animated production, about 20 minutes long. And that's pretty cool for an independent like film company to do animation. Is that, so is, we're, we're, is, is that going to be sort of like uh, your stop motion that I've seen, like some of your little stop motion films or something, or no? No, no this is going to be traditional 2D animation, like a Saturday morning cartoon show. Oh, wow. And so we want it to be like, yeah, so we're – Right now, we're working through an early phase. I did, you know, seven years of feature animation uh, in development and story and editorial. Um, so I know that side very, very well. And it's very cheap to put together a set of story reels for animation because it's all storyboards that are like not quite animated, but cut in a way that makes you feel like, oh, if this was animated, I know how this would go. And if this was colored in, I understand how this would look. We're just penning out the story. And so it becomes like a living version of the script, which is one of the things I love about animation is having your story reels, which is like, we have the entire movie up, but it's not like shooting a movie and then going, you know what, I'd really like to change that scene. I mean, in animation, you're like, you know what, let's just cut that ending off and write a new one re-storyboard that let me cut that in and okay here's our new movie and before yeah. you you hit the go button on the expensive stuff which is the animation you have a chance to refine that movie and that's why pixar and dreamworks take five seven years to do these movies because they're doing it and even if it works front to back they're still kicking those tires they're still pressing on those things that go oh this is a little too convenient is this entertaining enough does this hit the theme? Are we saying enough? Are we putting enough stakes there? Is it too easy? Is it too hard? You know, you get to ask all those questions and really kind of 
refine it. So it's like a slow cook. You know, I find that, that live action, you really have to know what you want right away because you get one chance. And in animation, you kind of get to sit back and take your time with it and be patient. So it's, there's two different styles to directing each thing. And I love doing it all. So it's been a really nice since we haven't really been able to get out that much to have something to have a long-term creative project. And now that, you know, the doors are opening back up, um, we're working on more original scripts to try and get done in shorts. And then obviously um, I am attached to a feature film called the kindness of strangers about two serial killers that discover, that discover each other on the open road and then battle it out to only ones left standing. Uh, we're trying to get that off the ground. If you know, COVID regulations are, are pulling back. Um, so there's a lot, I mean, we're, we're yeah. constantly busy all the time. It sounds like it. You guys are really doing some great stuff. Um, well, we're getting back down to the end of our time. Uh, Joe, I, I know, did you have any more uh, stuff that you wanted to ask before we switch over to our... Our special thing again? Yeah. No, uh, no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. I mean, I, honestly, Vincent, I could probably uh, feel like hours and hours right. and hours of questions, but, um, you know, your time's valuable and... I, a lot of our listeners uh, have the attention span of a gnat, so <laughs> yeah. if we go on longer than an hour, uh, we're going to get hate mail from both of our listeners. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll have you we'll have you back. Yeah, time. yeah. We can always talk about more stuff anytime. Well, yeah. we have uh, what we did last time at the end was we had a little uh, Friday the Thirteenth trivia that oh, you no. always come up with. I don't know if you'd like to be a part of this, Vincent, but uh, uh, it's it's. Uh, I, I'd love it if you have the time to stick around and participate. Yeah, maybe like five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, totally. So uh, here's what we did last time, and same rules apply. So I've compiled 21 uh, questions that encompass not only the franchise, but and you better get this one right. I have a uh, never hike alone question. Oh, oh well. I prepared for this. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So um, basically, the way it works is I read the question. And then uh, you use your name as your buzzer. So oh, yeah. if you know the answer, you say Vincent. And if you're the first one to say your name, then I call on you and you give me the answer. Okay. Piece of cake. Copy that. Um, okay. So if there's no other questions, without further ado, let's get on to question number one. Uh, in the beginning of the original Friday the 13th, we heard singing coming from the camp counselors. The scene progressed to a cabin with a name on the door. What animal was the cabin named after? Oh, Vincent. Matt. Vincent. Fox? Yes, nice. that is correct. Wow. That's what I was going to say, but front, yeah, very on good. On the front door of the cabin, there was a plaque identifying it as Fox. I thought it was going to be uh, like the name of the song, and it was Kumbaya, I believe. Uh, River Jordan, you, I think. Would have been wrong. Oh, it's yeah. River Jordan. Wrong. Yes. That is, wrong. Okay, that was not, wasn't my question. But, What's my okay. bonus question? <laughs> <Yeah. Bonus point. laughs> you can add it at the end. Okay. Uh, question number two. What was Jason's first murder weapon? Matt. Matt. Ice pick. That is correct. Uh, Friday the 13th, part two. Jason sneaks up behind Alice, the girl who killed his mother, and drove an ice pick right through her temple. Uh, this one's a deep dig, but I, I'm a fan of it. Uh, in Friday the 13th, part two, what was the name of Terry's dog? Matt. Vincent. Mark. Matt. Muffin. I just that watched correct. This. I just watched this yesterday, <laughs> actually. So uh okay, uh yeah, it's from Jason X, but uh what was the name of the spaceship used Vincent. in Jason X? Vincent. Grendel. That is correct. <laughs> I'll get the on first the movie I saw I in the theater. Promise. Was it? Nice. 
That was the first one named, I had to see in the theory, yeah. Wow. Named after the monster from the poem Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay, you stayed a Friday the 13th fan. <laughs> well, I mean, I had watched them all up there, but I, we had a great time during that screening. It was uh, hilarious. Okay. It's a great hey, uh, By the way, in case you didn't hear from the last episode, before in preparation from our last episode, I rewatched all 12 of the Friday the 13th films, but I did them in reverse order. Oh. <laughs> so I finished with the original in hopes that the movies would get better. Everyone has that uh, reaction, by the way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're nuts. It's just funny to uh, see the, the timeline collapse in on itself you're like yeah, how exactly. the hell did they cut like it was an interesting perspective i can yeah. tell you that uh okay back to this uh question number five who was jason's father vincent vincent elias Voorhees. Mm, that Dang. is correct wow. jason's father was his name was actually mentioned in jason goes to hell and i guess they did like a comic book series that was uh touched on his character uh, quite in depth um, they did. I mean, there was one called, uh, Pamela's tale, which kind of went into it. He was supposed to be a part of the 2017 movie that was supposed to come out. He was one of the three killers, Pam, Elias, and Jason killed in that movie. Um, Tom McLaughlin had Elias show up at the end of Friday the 13th part six, but that got cut out, yeah, ended up in the novelization version. But Tom has showed those, um, those panels that he drew out for the original concept of it. Mm-hmm. And see, Mark, that is why Vincent's ahead three to two to nothing. Just and you're a just a super fan. There's a lag. There's a lag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to this. Uh, question number six. Uh, this is an easy, this is a softball. How is Jason brought back to life in part six? Mark. Matt. Uh, lightning. Lightning bolt. That is correct. Uh, okay, question number seven. In which film does Jason split a guy in half at Vincent. the front machete? Jason or Vincent? Uh, that's in part three. That is correct. The guy was walking on his, his hands. hands, and uh, when he made Jason's acquaintance, and this is Jason's second kill after donning his trademark hockey mask, mm-hmm. and uh, the first kill featuring both the mask and the machete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember watching that as a kid and being like, what happened? Like, I couldn't tell when I first because of VHS. And you're like, where did he hit him? And then <laughs> yeah. it, later on HD, I finally realized that he was split in half and he bent his legs around him. I was like, oh, my God, yeah. that's ridiculous. Uh, question number eight. When was Jason's born? What's his birthday? Vincent. Vincent. It's uh, June 13th, 1947. Mm. That is not correct. Oh, oh, you know, okay. Yeah, wrong, wrong month. Uh, I'm back. Mark's back, so I'll repeat the question. What is Jason's birth date? I, well, it was definitely June, or Matt. It was definitely June 13th. Uh, I'm going to say 1946. That is correct. Yeah. Wow. He died in 57. I always flip those two numbers around. Now, according to the films, the date was a actually a Friday, although in his, if you go back in history, it's actually a Thursday. Which yeah, is, I know. They, they break yeah, that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're back to question number nine. Mark, are you sure you're still with us? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, this is an easy one. Uh, Jason, in Jason X, Part of KM14's body falls off. Which part is it? Vincent. Vincent. Her head. That is incorrect. Mark, 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 Mark. Mark. Oh. Her nipples. Her nipples are falling off. Vincent, nice. Okay. Yes, but not cut off. 
Yeah. Uh, so Mark, you got on the board with one question and it about was about nipples. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Question number 10. Who was the first victim that Jason killed with his favorite weapon, the machete? Um, Uh, Matt. Say the question again. Matt. Matt. It was uh, his name. Was it the wheelchair guy? Um, in part two, Scott something. Mark. Scott, not a wheelchair guy. He wasn't the wheelchair. Is, but that's the right name. Yeah. That is the right name. That's I was Scott. trying to remember his wait, name. Wait, yeah. which one's which one's Scott? Wait a minute. The one he Scott? killed with the wrong side of the machete. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's right. Scott Cheney in Friday Night nice, Part Two. Maybe if Scott wasn't teasing Terry by stealing her clothes, he wouldn't have stepped in that snare. And the prankster stereotype never fails to or fares too well in uh, Camp Crystal Lake. So, what what was the name of the guy in the wheelchair? I can't remember now. Mark. Uh, Mark. Mark. It with was a Mark. C, I think. Or, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. That's one of my. That's my favorite kill: the machete to the face and then roll down like ten flights. Oh, no. That was that was my favorite too. Actually, that part two was brutal. my first for Friday the Thirteenth movie that I saw on HBO when I was a kid, and uh, uh, that kill with my friend and I, I think we we were both scared, but at the same time laughing hysterically. Okay, so after ten, it's uh, Matt with five in the lead, Mark with one, and Vincent with four. So uh, back to the questions. Question number eleven. What is the name of the girl who survived Jason's wrath in Friday the 13th Part 2? Vincent. Mark. Vince. Jenny Field. That yep. is correct. Yep. Uh, she's my favorite. I should have been Amy, faster on that. Uh, thank you very Amy much, Steele. Vincent. Thank Amy you very Steele. much, Vincent. Yeah, yeah, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny is the best final girl, isn't he? <laughs> yep. uh, okay, back to question number 12. This is another dog question. What is the name of the Jarvis family dog that went through the window on Friday the 13th? Matt. Mark. Who I think Matt came in Mark. first. Gordon. Yes. What? That is correct. Uh, Gordo. Yeah. You, you find a girl out there? <laughs> <laughs> you flirting. You find a girl. What have you been a doing? All right. Uh, question number thirteen. Oh, and by Me the way, by the way, Mark, if you want to start an argument with me about Halloween and and Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, don't tag Tom uh, uh, Savini on the argument on Twitter, please. <laughs> For God's sake. Good God. I'm sorry. He doesn't want to hear a couple losers talking about that. All well, right. well, speedy recovery to Tom Savini. I guess he just got like uh, in an accident or something. Yeah, yeah. He got hit speedy by recovery. So yeah. speedy recovery. Yeah. So you think he wants to listen to us on his Twitter <laughs> while he's okay? I apologize. All right. Well, he needs something to do. Just land, man. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. He's got extra right. time on his hands. These idiots. He's got to rest. He's got to rest. <laughs> All right. We're getting back to this. Uh, question number thirteen. Name the young boy who survives a would-be Jason in A New Beginning. Vincent. Mark. Vincent. Reggie the Reckless. Yeah, Reggie the Reckless, played Reckless. by Shavar Ross, <laughs> also known for portraying Dudley Ramsey in different strokes. What you talking about, Will? He was the guy that got diddled by the bicycle shop owner. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, my favorite episode of Different Strokes. Uh, okay, question number 14. What did the coroner eat, which made him Matt. Mark, Matt, his heart, Jason's heart. There's a lag. 
<laughs> Mark, I think you're a lag. There's a lag. I'm telling you, there's a lag because yeah. I'm saying it and then I'm hearing. Oh my there's God. a lag in the Piscati brain. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There always is. Okay. Uh, next question. In the movie Never Hike Alone, what publication is Axel McKaylee too busy reading to do his job? Vincent. <laughs> you better have gotten this one right. Yeah. Vincent. It's his uh, Playboy from 1980. That is correct, and you even got the date. Yep. Oh yeah, that's a call out from uh, part four, by the way. So yeah, actually, that's a dual call out. I'll go into both things. One, it is that is the the Easter egg behind that Playboy is that it's Steve Christie's Playboy, and he he hid it in that box. That's where he kept it. That's where he stashed his his porn. Um, nice. That was supposed to be the little thing because he's a creepy. Because I always thought he was kind of creepy with those jean shorts and the mustache. Very. Um, so he would definitely do yeah, that, and then definitely porno. Axel McCulley is a combination of Axel from part four and Billy McCulley from part five, who's the, the Coke snorting uh, yeah. orderly who, who drops off the things. And my idea was that Axel McCulley is uh, Axel slept with uh, Billy's sister and got her pregnant, but he died. And he has this bastard kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was sleeping that's with everybody fantastic. at the restroom, at the, at the hospital. So that's what I thought. Oh like, my it's gosh, all... that's fantastic. I would like to see another oh fan film illustrating that. I would like to step that's inside fantastic. your brain sometime yeah. and just, just walk around there. It's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful camp crystal lake. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Okay, question number 16. In an effort to promote the soon classic film, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Kane Hodder appeared as Jason Voorhees on what late-night talk show? Vincent. Mark, Mark, Mark. Vincent. Arsenio Hall. That is correct. And he didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Kane completed the entire interview without speaking a word and remained in character the entire time. Okay, on to question number 17. In what year does Jason X take place at the beginning of the film? Matt. Oh, 2010. 2010 is correct. The film starts off in 2010 and then later moves forward through time to wind up in the year 2455. That's insane. Question number 18. Corey Feldman was too busy filming another film to fully Vincent. reprise this role. Mark, Mark. Vincent. <sighs> Goonies. <laughs> that, that is correct. To finish the rest of the question, what other movie was he off filming? It was Goonies. Goonies. To be fair, Mark, you did jump in pretty quickly, but Vincent was just way faster. <laughs> and also, just just a, just a little tidbit on that. Um, when they filmed Corey Feldman in part five, um, he was – they actually filmed that in Corey Feldman's backyard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I had, uh, I, had, I had to put a tidbit in there. And if you look close, if you look close enough, when Jason stabs the dude in the stomach with the machete, you can see that the machete has no sharp end to it. It's just blunt. blunt. They, got, they got real cheap in part five. It's really funny. You can see like their production value drop like sharply for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Okay. Buzzers ready. Uh, question number 19. Chronologically, Friday the 13th parts 2, 3, and 4 take place over the course of how many days? Mark, 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 Mark. Uh, Mark? Okay. Four days. Incorrect. I'm... No. Matt. Well, I'm going to say five days. 
<laughs> five days is correct. It he won up on, me again. It starts on Friday the 13th. Again. I actually and thought it was ends. four two, Mark, but when you said <sighs> when you that was wrong, I went with five. It goes from Friday the 13th to Tuesday the 17th, and coincidentally, during that time frame, Jason kills 34 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, so nice. Matt with another mark, uh, or with yeah, um, <laughs> another mark, tally mark, not another M-A-R-K. mark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, question number 20. Which is the only film in the series that does not feature any scene of Jason being unmasked or without his mask? Mark. Mark. Wait, unmasked too? Wait, say that again. Yeah, read that question again. Yeah, that again. Which is the only film in the series that does not feature any scene of Jason being either unmasked or without his mask? Mark. Mark. Part nine. Is that Jason is that? goes to Jason hell? Jason goes to hell. That is correct. Yep. Jason Goes to Hell is the only Friday the 13th film not to feature any scene of Jason being unmasked as he does not have a physical form for the majority of the film. Joe, uh, I must commend you for these for these questions, by the look, way. Vincent, Vincent is coming Wait, in. I, I'm going to get a bonus question because he, neither does it happen in part five either. Part five. Well, that's true. Because he, he's true. dreamed Jason the entire time. Only yeah. Roy gets unmasked. Technically. Well, but there is no. But you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. There is no message. I'm just. I'm just being. You're worse than Markin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is the last question of the night, and Mark, I can tell you right now, you're out of it. But uh, the score right now is Matt with nine and Vincent also with nine. Ooh. I almost want to stay out of this. (laughs) Okay, so last question: at the beginning of the 2009. Friday the 13th remake or sequel. A group of teens venture into the woods for a camping trip. Some of the teens have a hidden agenda and are actually... Vincent. They want to harvest weed. That is correct. Wow. Vincent with 10 points, Matt with 9, and Mark with 2. Nice. We have our winner. (laughs) I was disconnected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a delay. You didn't even... I want to recount. I do my, my dog ate the homework. Uh, hang, on, hang on. I like to oblige. Let me count again. Uh, so, yeah, Matt, 9, Vincent, 10, Mark. Yeah, Mark, you still lost. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this, was a, this was a great episode, a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Vincent, for coming. Uh, we, we had a great time, and, and we really, you know, I know uh, Joe and I, especially, and Superfan Mark, uh, are, are all uh, uh, just rooting for you and we're rooting for Womp Stomp films and and we think you're you guys are gonna do some big things uh before long because the talent is there uh the 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 heart is there and 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 you and you take it seriously and that that shows um so and and for something that is so not serious to take it yeah. that seriously, it really means a lot, and I think that's why the fans love it so much because they can see the love that's there. So, 
Yeah, um, I mean, it, I thank you for that. I mean, it's always thank you to the fans for for supporting this crazy little journey that you know that we've been able to go on because uh, of their support. So we really appreciate it. Um, and then you know, if anybody wants to keep up with us, Womp Stomp Films is on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitter uh, at Womp Stomp Films. W O M P S T O M P F I L M S. Um, we're all over the place. The red circle, uh, with, with our, with our words in the middle, um, you can't miss us. And so, yeah, you follow that and you'll get all the updates with, uh, future movies, original movies, Friday the 13th stuff we're working on. Um, and we gotta, we're producing a lot of stuff this year and, and we're hopefully hoping to get back on the Never Hike Alone train, uh, early next year in spring of 2022. Well, we will definitely be watching or watching and, uh, checking it out. And we will, of course, uh, mention all of that and promote it here on Cinescare. Uh, so thank you so much for coming again. And uh, all of you out there, please send us uh, more of your ghost stories. Uh, we need, we, I don't Vincent are usually at the end of episodes, we do a ghost story yeah. that a fan has sent in or, or something like that. And uh, so we're, we're running out of them. So please, please uh, send us more. Uh, any of our listeners, send them to CinescareHorror at gmail.com. Uh, and with that, thank you again, Mr. Vincent, and thank you again, Mr. Mark. And uh, thanks for having me. We will see you next time. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much, Vincent. Thank you very much, Vincent. Wow.